For October 26th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 69, Too Faust, Too Furious. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, uh, and here with the panel of overthinkers to overthink many things, including, as long promised, uh, long promised listener feedback show for you. Let's begin, then, with a voicemail. Hello, overthinkers. This is Amy from Germany, and it's my last few days stateside, so I thought I'd give a call before it became insanely expensive for me to do so. I have two quick things. Firstly, I wanted to extend a heartfelt thank you from my husband, Matt, and his soldiers. They'll be redeploying from Iraq shortly, and they just recently finished the side of beef jerky that you sent. And the consensus is that each of you should be canonized for the wealth of toiletries that were included. Apparently, the package was aptly timed to avoid incidents of friendly fire over body odor. Your generosity was greatly appreciated by all the men, and many, many thanks to all of you. Lastly, I have a suggestion for a question to open the podcast with. It's apropos for the Halloween season. I just saw Paranormal Activity, and it scared the living shysa out of me. What movie has scared the shysa out of you? Keep up the work. Good work, guys, and I'll keep on listening. Thanks a bunch, Amy, for that. And thank you to your husband, Matthew, uh, at FOB Caldwell in the great nation of Iraq. And uh, we were only... Oh, crap. I just punched out there. We were only too glad to put together that stuff and send it, uh, send it to you. Did you guys hear all that? No, you, punched, uh, you you dropped out for like five seconds. I guess we should play the the, the, the voicemail about Skype quality. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually deleting that out of GarageBand, and I guess I I, I hit it. Hey, uh, thank you uh, to you, Amy, and thank you to to Matthew and the soldiers at uh, at FOB Caldwell. We were only too happy to send you, and we didn't talk about it on the podcast at the time, uh, a because we didn't want to like toot our own horn like that. I don't think we talked about it on the show. Like, hey, look at what we sent our troops. And uh, also, we kind of wanted it to be a surprise. We know that uh, that your husband listens to the show in Iraq when he can. Uh, but so here's what we sent. We sent, I think, like four pounds or six pounds of beef jerky. I think four pounds of beef jerky. Uh, we sent... It keeps America fighting. <laughs> <laughs> we sent um, uh, four DVDs. Uh, of various films that we thought were were worthy of the um, the great fighting men and women of America uh, in their you know gung ho moments and also in their quieter more reflective moments. I forget exactly what they were, but I, I think Master and Commander was one of them, right? Uh, I, I, so. I forget all of them. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. Master and Commander was one of them. Then we said I was then not we were selecting them. We were specifically <laughs> requested toiletries, so, you know, some razors and shaving cream and yeah, deodorant and 
toothbrushes and mouthwash, Listerine, I think, and whatnot. A lot of that uh, made it over there. Uh, and I'm glad it made it because sending that stuff, sending like a bottle of Listerine through the post office is next to impossible. You, it's, it's difficult to send anything liquid through the mail and you have to jump through all these hoops. I also had to fill out an elaborate customs form to get it into uh, the, the great nation of Iraq. And so, uh, hey, we're glad to do that. And we're only too glad to take your suggestion for a question. What movie has scared the shaisa out of you? Uh, and thank you for keeping our podcast fam- family friendly, friendly as well, Amy. Except for in Germany. <laughs> Except for in <laughs> Germany, yeah. Uh, but but Amy, you may be our only German listener. Uh, if you are not our only German listener, we'd love to hear from the German listeners. Pete Fenzel, what movie Yo! scared you? Uh, I want to name two, and if I name one that somebody else uh, mentions, I sincerely apologize, but I suspect it's unlikely. These were the two movies that dominated my terrors as a child, and I had lots of night terrors as a kid, and I'd say probably about 80% of the irrational fear I suffered between the years, the ages of like 6 and 10 were because of these two movies, each of which I accidentally watched part of on television. Um, one of them is the 1985 movie Life Force, um, which also went by the UK title Space Vampires, um, and it's about a uh, a, a, a uh, escape uh, pod from a spaceship that lands on Earth and has a monster in it that sucks the life force out of people. And I remember this image of this like sort of avian, vaguely avian skeleton sucking out a doctor's life force through his eyeballs and mouth that would just terrify me for forever and ever and ever. Um, and then the other one is the 1986 remake of the classic 50s film Invaders from Mars, uh, which is about a little boy who realizes that the parents and people, authority figures in his life, are being taken over by body-snatching aliens. And there was something so sinister about it. I remember having nightmares of scenes from that movie just over and over and over again. People, you could tell that they were aliens, I think, because they had things on the backs of their necks. And whenever anybody, adult I knew, had a, had a necklace that hung in the back and had a clasp, it always used to freak me out. So both of those movies absolutely scared the shiza out of me for like the better part of a decade. Shiza. A decade that had a lot of things. Shiza! They coming so yeah um, those are my two scary recommendations that is a so deep cut from our uh from our childhood <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah moving on in the alphabet mr mark lee yo um i don't have like a straight up super freaky horror movie but one movie recently that at least when i saw it in the theaters really gave me the heebie-jeebies was actually i am legend and i'm probably gonna get some take some flack for this because i know people like love to hate on this on this movie but um first of all i thought that in terms of just you know uh, the way that it was put together and su- suspense i thought it was pretty good and that people have long debated about the ending of it and whether the alternate ending is better but that's not the subject of this conversation um what i will specifically refer to are a couple of things about it really scare the shisa out of me one is when will smith the doctor whatever the hell his name is goes into a building to have to, to get go after his dog um which is, you know, this is not a good idea, but as he's going through the building, um, you know that basically, like, he's eventually going to run into, you know, a bunch of vampires or whatever you want to call them um, in the building. And when he finally does, um, at least for me, like, just my heart, I thought my heart was about to jump out of, his, of my chest um, because what else can you say? This suspense was just that good. Um, the other part of that movie really scared the shiza out of me was a particular moment when he. Um, if, if you haven't seen it, the, he, 
he sort of socializes with these mannequins that are set up because obviously all the people are gone and they're mannequins that are set up that he has quote unquote conversations with. He runs into one of them way out of the way where he would normally where he'd forgotten he'd put a a mannequin in some place and he runs into it in the middle. But you don't realize that exactly when you're seeing it. It's in front of Grand Central Station. You see this mannequin there and the something about the staging of this um, really just creeped me out when I saw it. And I want to, want to, I want to ask the rest of the panel here. I've, I've gone on about this a little bit here. Am I the only person who was really scared by I Am Legend? Or actually kind of enjoyed it for that matter? Didn't see it. Didn't see I mean, it. I don't know. My criticisms of it uh, and of its terrible ending have kind of uh, preempted a further um, analysis of it. But I would say that, that, that there's some sort of like, I felt similar um, watching I Am Legend as I did when I was watching one of my friends from college play Resident Evil codename Veronica, um, which was for the Sega Dreamcast, uh, the version that I was watching. Because there's lots and lots of moments where something could jump out at you. Uh, and you know it's going to happen, and usually that doesn't really get to me, but this time it kind of did. So I would say that that it's not any sort of major art. Like there are moments in I Am Legend which are formulaic. Somebody's going to jump out and get you moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. And they were well executed. Um, I definitely remember the exact scene you're talking about, and I would say I felt a little bit scared. Yeah, um, I didn't feel as much because uh, that for me. What? We lost you there for a second, Pete. Oh, okay. Well, didn't I, didn't feel, feel as, yeah. I didn't feel as much about the mannequin scene because I am familiar with how the book ends. And because I'm familiar with how the book ends, I was expecting the mannequin to mean something entirely different than what it meant. If I didn't know what was supposed to happen, maybe I would have found it a little bit scarier. Um, as it was, uh, it, you know, the scene was just kind of confusing for me. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and I was kind of, that's when I started getting pissed off at the movie. Because they had deviated from the, from the yeah. book. Yeah, I mean the main the main thrust of it is that in the book the um, the enemies are are more intelligent and are capable of like conversation, um, and something like that happening would be an indication that like the bad guy is intelligent and is about to come and talk to you because he figured out the mannequin thing. Um, but it, really, in the movie, the enemy is only uh, capable of rudimentary cleverness, cleverness and guile. Like the the enemy is only vaguely capable of tricking you or trapping you. He doesn't really have developed uh, speech or, or intelligence, and that was a disappointment. So, yeah, I, I haven't read the book, so I can't really comment on that. I mean, I haven't read it either, but I, I wanted oh, to know what it. it was about after I saw the preview. So I read the full summaries on Wikipedia and talked to some people who read it. So I'm pretty familiar with uh, spoiler with, alert. I know exactly. Well, I haven't told you the spoiler. I haven't actually told you what it's about. So um, I'll just leave it at that. Rosebud was a sled. What? Uh, this is a spoil-free podcast. Oh, right. Actually, Sorry. They, they, show, they show this uh, hot chick vampire, and then they pull out slowly with the f- camera and enlarge the frame, and she has a dong. Speaking. Yeah, that was a little PG thirteen. Speaking of R rated spoilerific. Uh, speaking of dongs. <laughs> speaking of dongs and and guys who have them, uh, we are joined Hey-o! by we are joined by Ryan Sheely. Uh, <laughs> speaking of dongs and the men who love them. 
we uh, are joined by Ryan Sheely, who is uh, who is my co-host on the These Effing Teenagers podcast, which you're still getting on this main podcast feed. Uh, sorry about that if you absolutely hate Gossip Girl. But uh, or Glee, like half our blog seems to. But, um, <laughs> but that's not what this podcast is about. No, yeah, no, our, our, yeah, no. This podcast is not about half this blog's hatred of the other podcast. <laughs> no, I enjoy the podcast tremendously. I just hate Glee. Uh, You're right, Matt. You know that I haven't listened to the other podcast. <laughs> don't don't sell yourself short. Um, <laughs> you hardly caught my hate. So. Uh, <laughs> We, um, yeah, so, uh, we're ha- so, uh, Ryan, just remember, you can't use any dirty words, uh, or give any spoilers. I know, spoilers. and I won't talk about Omar and the liar at all. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think here's the part where you ask me about what movie I'm scared of. Oh, yeah, right, here is that part. What, what, what movie are you scared of? Um, none. I have no fears at all. Um, I can <laughs> scare any movie. No, actually, I say this because I actually have an extreme amount of selection bias when it comes to scary movies. That as a kid, um, and even as a teenager, I was actually so scared of movies that I wouldn't see any movies that I thought might scare me. So I actually don't see a lot of uh, horror movies. Um, and things like that. I think one of the things that scared me a lot as a kid um, was the uh, original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, <laughs> um, specifically, the, 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 the tunnel scene. Um, but I think the Oopa Loopas bothered me a lot, too. I mean, it was, it was, I was really unhappy about that because there's like the first third that's like, you know, whimsical musical numbers, and then they go inside the Chocolate Factory, and it just, uh, it scared me a lot. I also used to be very scared of uh, Rescue 911, the uh, docudrama hosted uh, <laughs> by William Shatner. Uh, those reenactments really, like, I know I had, like, reenactment nightmares of, like, uh, drownings and, uh, and, and, and car crashes. <laughs> Can I move back here for a second? On, on, and, like, Ryan Legend is still my, my pick for most recent thing, but going back to my youth, I can't remember what it was that I was watching. It must have been like some weird UFO abduction TV show or something like that. But I vividly remember the one thing that kept me up at night, uh, scared as a kid, was afraid that, you know, the big aliens with the, with the almond, uh, almond-shaped eyes, you know, black eyes are going to come into my room and take me away. Mm. Um, maybe that was just me. And anally probe you? Were you afraid that they were going to anally probe you in your anus? <laughs> no, yeah, I was that's afraid, for our I was other podcast. Gonna, yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> same time for the, the, the Glee podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was, no, I was, gonna, I was afraid they were going to anally, anally probe me in some other place. Well, I don't know. I always had good dreams about the aliens. My my <laughs> dreams, the aliens always saved me from the undead. Like I had little dreams <laughs> as a kid that like that there were these like mummies, like reminiscent of Mumra from the Thundercats, that were coming for me, and that there were these two aliens who showed up at my door, claiming they were friends of ET, and therefore they like new people, and that they were going to take me away and save me from the alien. And it was such a vivid dream that I believed it was real for the better part of a couple of days. So it was uh, pretty pretty serious business. Those aliens might be good guys. Don't don't shoot them with your uh, your your taser gun too fast because not all of them are all into that stuff. So <laughs> some of them are a little bit more you know conservative. <laughs> those ones get. Imagine what aliens would think if they came across those of us who like are all into probing things butts and like because there are people who are into that sort of thing and like aliens would be freaked out by it. I don't want. I want to do unto others. I want us to not like judge the aliens based on their like butt fa- uh, fixated membership. Just as I don't want aliens to judge us by our butt fixated membership. So I don't know. Is that Christian? 
I'm not sure what that's for sure. <laughs> Probe unto others as you would have. It's one of the you. Beatitudes, right? Like, best, blessed be the butt probers, for they shall inherit. <laughs> Uh, all right. And finally, I will, I will end the train here with, um, my childhood viewing of the seminal 1984 classic police Academy. What? (laughs) That scared you? Didn't make you afraid of Popo? Which are you you terrified of whistling? Like, (laughs) which featured, no, I'm scared of Motormouth Jones. No, uh, which featured the podium blowjob scene. Um, and I didn't. And that understand. scared you? No, you see, I didn't understand that it was a blowjob because I didn't know that that there were such things as that. Because I saw that film probably too early in my own childhood development, uh, but it was there at the you know the video store in the VHS section, and uh, you know it seemed like a screwball comedy, and so it got brought home and screened by my brother and me, and so there's this. Um, Sound effect, and I, I convinced myself as a child that what, what the hooker who had been procured for this as a practical joke was doing, hidden inside the podium while the captain, you know, spoke, uh, that instead of, uh, you know, doing anything pleasant with his dong, she was actually burning his dong with a cigarette. <laughs> and, and the sound effects at this moment are kind of ambiguous, I would contend. And... Uh, <laughs> You know. I have one question for you, Matt. I have one question for yes. you. Yes. What year was this? Oh, that, no, I have one pre question. What year was this? Like mid eighties, late eighties? It would it would have been late eighties. I would have been I would have been eight or nine or something. Was there a non VHS section of the video store at this point? Yes, there, <laughs> you, there was. You said there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a Betamax. Betamax section. Wow, yeah, that's still. Fancy. You had to do yeah. Betamax? Wow. Well, man, you could go. Crazy. You see, we had a Betamax v- VCR for a little while, and so we could only go with the oh. crappy, with the crappy selection, smaller selection of movies in the Betamax section. And when finally, you know, we joined the early '80s in like 1987, <laughs> we uh, got a VHS uh, recorder, and we finally had access to the fine. Uh, films the 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 entire collection of the video rental store, uh, including the Police Academy series, and I, I've seen them <laughs> seen them all multiple times. All right, that was all their dong burning glory. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I didn't know what. A, yeah, it's like I, this is probably like you know d- says something about my twisted psychosexual development that like I d- I did not. Uh, I didn't understand that like men and women could do that. Women could do pleasurable things to dogs <laughs> that that they could they could only cause dongs like irreparable harm. Um, no, but my slightly more serious answer, uh, another movie I saw as a child, is uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, where, which features a scene where a um, uh, like a person is. I think wrapped in gauze like a mummy, and then like embalmed in scalding wax. You know, like, oh, so dies by being boiled alive and also suffocated and also, like, you know, encased in wax at the same time. And uh, Sherlock, young Sherlock and young Watson have to prevent this from happening. Uh, that, was, that was scary in a movie that was targeted specifically at children. I mean, this wasn't a case mm. of someone, this wasn't a case of my seeing uh, a movie that I ought not to have seen right uh you know earlier than i was ready for it as as was my tragic run in with the police academy movie right 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 this was a mm. steven spielberg movie for kids 
Uh, all right. One last scary movie and then we move on. Mark Lee, it's all yours. Yeah, I, I, was, I was racking my brain because I knew there was one movie that I'd seen, not in my childhood, but in my adulthood, which just really disturbed me at a level that the film has not done before. And that would be Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> my least favorite movie ever. I hate that movie so oh much. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, what is it about that you hate about it, Pete? Well, first of all, the whole thing uh, deals with... I took Latin for 10 years, and the whole plot of the movie circles on the bad translation of Latin. <laughs> but that's only part of it. <laughs> that's only part of it. Um, Event Horizon is... Well, first of all, it's a movie without a really defined ghost ship moment. Like, it's never really made clear to the characters what is going on. So there's this just incredible despondent hopelessness that hangs over everything that happens in that movie. I remember watching that movie, and, like, it's just human brutality and, like awful abuse that these people have to go through and and it's like all these and they do these horrible things it's like oh it's the ghost of your dead son like jump over this railing and kill yourself and it's just like oh my christ and i remember after seeing that movie going to the grand union which is now a stop and shop in my hometown and just like standing outside of it for 45 minutes being like feeling totally empty and just like really thoroughly unhappy and 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 displeased with yeah, like how the yeah. universe was. Yeah, I think I yeah. saw it at a friend's house, and I drove home from there, and it just you know just like uh, I'm amazed to get in an accident on the way on the way back. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. Empty and despondent. Yeah. Who makes it's like God? <laughs> I mean, like, like it's like it's excuse for an action sequence is when what the guy like shows up on the video screen pulling out its own eyes. Well, it's things that are kind of of exciting. Who puts Lawrence Fishburne in a movie and then doesn't let him do anything? That was just cruel. It was just sad. And Sam Neill was really scary in it, but you also kind of got the sense that, like, you were seeing a side of him that maybe, like, would be best left unseen. Because <laughs> I think that there was a lot of sincere attitude in that. Although, to that movie's credit, it did uh, star TV's Jack Noseworthy of, uh, of the Bon Jovi video Always and the MTV show Dead at 21, um, who I believe is one of the, the only people to, to make it through the movie without suffering horrible, irreparable damage. Um, but I think he also was exposed to the vacuum of space at one point. So that gives you a sense for like the kind of abuse people go through when the guy who gets off easy is like shot without a spacesuit into the vacuum of space and is retrieved with severe internal bleeding, which they show. Uh, Amy, we Amy, we hope you were satisfied with our answers. <laughs> those are our uh, those are our scary movies. I heard Paranormal Activity is actually really scary, and it totally took down Saw. This is actually Saw Six is the first film in the Saw franchise to um, uh, oh, what's the clicking noise, Mark? I'm sorry, Mark. Yeah, it's it's Ryan. If anything's bad in the sound quality, you just go straight to Ryan. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I can understand you. The quality was really bad. Um, all right. So uh, the, the, that is the question of the week. That's who's on the panel today. Uh, you know what you, you can do. If you uh, hate us and want us to, to pull out our eyes on the video screen or stand outside the stop and shop, uh, you should tell us by, uh, you know, leaving a comment on the show notes or uh, using the contact form on the site uh, or emailing podcast at overthinkingit.com or calling uh, the voicemail, which is 20 eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Now, before we get to your voicemails, I've promised only to do this on listener feedback shows. So every month, month and a half or so. Uh, but this is the part where we mention, or I mention that the overthinking of podcast is supported by listeners like you. 
I don't mean to get all public radio on you, but this this uh, this site, especially now that we've. Um, We've uh, uh, started a second podcast. Uh, the site is starting to outstrip its capacity to be self-supporting. So if you uh, are one of our listeners and you like this and feel like you could support it with a donation of money uh, in the amount of a dollar, we've gotten them as low as, I think, $2, and we're grateful for those, but we are even more grateful for 5 or 10 or $20. Uh, if you uh, care to do that, there's a donate button on the site. We are extremely thankful for your donations. We uh, read out some of the names. Well, we read out all the names of everyone who's donated uh, on the podcast already. Uh, we did it on a, on a previous episode, I think maybe the last listener feedback show, and I would love to read more names out. So uh, thanks very much for being generous with us in these tough economic times. It's important to support public overthinking. <laughs> and when you, donate to, to, when you donate to public, <laughs> when you donate to public radio, they just give you a mug. They don't read your name out on the show, right? Right. Think of that value proposition we're offering here, dude. Guys, I can get like if if a mug deal breaker, like let me know. I'll get you a mug. Like, I, can, <laughs> I can get a. I can get you a mug. I got. I mean, I, like, you my know. roommate has a whole bunch of mugs. I can get my roommate's mug and just mail it. Do you want to mail? A mug that says what? Like <laughs> right. A, yeah, a certified uh, pre-owned I, I mug. Uh, it, it has a small crack in the handle, the one I'm thinking of. But you know, that just no, means... if you're seriously, if you would want to have a certified pre-owned Overthinking It mug, you let us know, and we'll offer that to special donors who go into our special Overthinking It Platinum Club, uh, which is for people who donate um, what? Which I say fifty dollars or more, and you get the the certified pre-owned Overthinking It mug. <laughs> uh, if you, yeah, you know what? I will wrap up a mug out of my kitchen, or Pete will, and we will mail yeah. it to you. <laughs> it, well, for a hundred dollars, uh, I'll actually over. <laughs> think something while drinking out of that mug and then um and then and then send it to you with the essay uh, or podcast recorded uh while while drinking out of that mug exactly That's, and if you, um, if you pay 150 dollars then he'll <laughs> won't do it naked <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i've rubbed my balls on one portion of this mug but i am not going to tell you which portion <laughs> the handle <laughs> oh really i was going to say the rim Oh, man. But, uh, yes, so donate button on the site. We're very grateful for your generosity. Thanks to everyone who supported us. Uh, our Starting the new podcast, our podcast hosting, the podcast hosting is separate from the website hosting uh, because we want, you know, fast response in the, you know, the content delivery network and the, the media files going out. Um, we're, we're looking for a way. It, it looks like our, our costs, monthly costs for hosting the podcasts are, is going to double. So it, it would be great uh it would be great to have your support to, to help out with that and keep it um keep it going month to month the other thing you can do uh and you know we should make this more prominent on, on the site you don't have to send us money directly if you you know don't feel you have it but when you um buy something for yourself say on amazon uh, if you use the Amazon link that's in the sidebar of overthinkingit.com, we get some kind of 4% kickback. You don't pay anything more, but uh, they send us a referral fee or something like that. And that, um, you know, we, we should make that more prominent because I, I, I know everyone freaking shops on Amazon. So uh, that's that's it. I Like I say, I promise not to do this every episode, only on the ones where we, uh, only on the ones where we do listener feedback. Uh, but we're very grateful for your support. And now on to your voice. Voicemail. Should we go to um, should we go to voicemail? Let's go to voicemail. Go to voicemail. Uh, yes. This isn't this is uh, the first one from uh, from a new admirer. 
Hey, Overthinkers, this is Robin. I got picked up your podcast off the Kingdom of Loathing podcast. Pretty good. Hey, thanks, Robin. Awesome. Pretty good. Pretty good voicemail. Pretty good. Um, hey, uh, let me give it. Wait, a that was the whole thing. That was <laughs> no, all of no, it. No, no, there's more. I just I okay. stop them at will and interject things into them because I, you know, I have the miraculous power of the space bar at my disposal. Uh, I, hey, I want to give a shout out to our our buddies at the Kingdom of Loathing. If you like. Um, well, if you like uh, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, maybe you won't like Kingdom of Loathing, but if you like mocking massively multiplayer online <laughs> role-playing games, you might enjoy Kingdom of Loathing. It, uh, they have a sensibility that I think a lot of our overthinking it audience would be really into. So it's, uh, I, if you Google Kingdom of Loathing, uh, you'll, you'll find it. And uh, remember, an adventurer is you. <laughs> My latitude at the moment is 37 degrees, 47 minutes, 16.4634 north by 122 degrees, or 9 minutes, 53.2127 west. Had a bit of historical trivia for you all to overthink if you'd like. This thing about the latitude and longitude, back in the early days of the Internet, you know, the 1980s and whatnot, used to be called the ICBM address. So there's your trivia for the week. So he, he's talking about that's, like that's, nuclear yeah, war? Yeah. Is that like <laughs> intercontinental ballistic missile address? That's what it was a reference to. Uh, I, when, when we first listened to the podcast pre-show, I, I, I looked up on Wikipedia. Um, and I guess the idea is that that amount of accuracy in a latitude, longitude and latitude was thought only to be useful for the use of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Um, so people wow. would would uh, leave tags, like they would leave their lat launch, and then maybe uh, say, don't shoot after it. <laughs> wow. I, I, I thought that they were talking about the independent community bankers of Minnesota. Uh, and I was like, yeah, we need to support people who are getting loans to build uh, shacks to have their tools in when they go snowblowing. <laughs> oh, no, but, but that address is like 931 Main Street, St. Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to give a shout-out to my buddies at the uh, – oh, no, wait a minute. My browser is telling me that, that their, their site is not trusted. <laughs> the, the, that we cannot confirm that your connection is secure. Um, so apparently there's some sort of security problem with my browser that the independent community bankers of Minnesota are trying to exploit, probably to shoot a missile at my house. So I'll, I'll step aside and let you guys overthink this ICBM yeah, thing while minute, I hack yeah, their yeah. mainframe. Oh, putting on my VR goggles. Here we go. Time to start hacking. This is a Unix system. All right. But uh, Robin was not done. <laughs> uh, and here's number two. But can I say can I say, say something about the lat longe real fast? Like, yeah. have we done anything with the collected latitude and longitude that everyone has left for us? No, um, and they're all they're all distributed <laughs> over many podcasts, so you'd have to listen back to all the listener feedback episodes in order to do them. But it would be can an we- interesting thing to do a like uh you know like a weighted geographic something something. I don't know. You're I was thinking, I was thinking more of a I was thinking more of a Da Vinci Code esque uh, puzzle hunt. To find the <laughs> message inside. What do you? What Can do you we call put up like, like a, a map of the world, or like a center of gravity, or something like that? Right, like Ryan, where you, you know, isn't there a point? Like someone did the Starbucks center of gravity of Manhattan. There's a point in Manhattan yeah. that is on average equidistant from all the Starbucks on the island. And like, right, something like that. I don't know a lot about GIS mapping, but um, or that type of you know geographical systems. But that sounds that sounds logical. Aren't you sure. aren't you a political scientist? Uh, you know, isn't geography you know a, an important part of that? 
Uh, no, we just abstract from from space. Um, we 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 abstract from location. <laughs> right. Got it. I don't know. Considering that people who've called in from Poland and Australia, we may end up in the middle of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah, we, like maybe it won't the, be off, off the coast of Mexico or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Off exactly. The coast of Which South is a great America. place to be. Yeah, hey, Bally High, may call you. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Colorado. What? <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, Robin number two. Hey, overthinkers. This is Robin. My ICBM address at the moment is 37 degrees, 47 minutes, 10.0683 seconds north by 122 degrees, 23 minutes, 49.8037 west. Now, that's subtly different from his last address. So Robin has he's, moved. <laughs> Robin is on the move, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he's on the move. He's on the move. That's what I was going to say. Copy that. <laughs> Copy that. Just wanted to make a quick comment about one of the older podcasts. I think it was Paris who used the expression, the exception that validates the rule. I think Paris needs to look up the expression, the exception that proves the rule, and also look up the old meaning of the word prove, which at the time meant to test. So I think Parage should overthink that. Okay. Ooh. This track. All right. What? <laughs> Robin, I got to say, you've obviously read my Thursday grammar uh, <laughs> post series in which the archaic meaning of prove was in fact... Um, was in fact taken up as a special case of of a word that used to mean something else gets embedded in a popular phrase comes to mean uh what it means today and so the meaning of the phrase shifts as well an exception that proves the rule used to mean in fact exception that tests the rule exception that challenges the rule right um, oh, yeah, and it was kind of a grudging admission. Oh, yeah, that's the exception that proves the rule, as in that's the exception that gives the lie to uh, what I've proposed the rule to be. I would say that John knows that, though, and that's why he said exception that validates the rule instead of exception that proves the rule, uh, because he wanted to make it clear he wanted to make it clear that he was uh, savvy to what the archaic meaning of prove was though when you think about it an exception validating the rule is kind of ridiculous well that begs the question of whether i should get a sandwich or not it does not well it does beg <laughs> it does beg the question both in the in the actual sense in that it does not address the question <laughs> <laughs> and also, <laughs> I, I suppose it only does in the actual sense and not in the uh, not in the debauched sense, right? Because uh, it does not raise the question of whether you should get a sandwich or not. Because whether you should get a sandwich or not has nothing to do with that. But there's yeah, rather, it's, rather, it's too bad that uh, you know the, the series isn't going on. It only lasted a short time. I believe it was quite short lived. It was indeed. It was a short lived. It was a short lived series. The first post of which was how you know in the phrase "short lived," uh, the word uh, "lived" should be so pronounced because uh, it refers to it. It comes from the noun "life" and not the verb "lived," uh, and that it's a it's a false etymology. Uh, to and it's a false et- etymology that leads to the incorrect pronunciation. Hey, can I ask you this? And and Shana, Shana, um, 
actually put a comment on the, that first post, which was like, I don't know, Matt, does the Oxford Dictionary agree with you? And I wrote back and said, uh, of course the Oxford English Dictionary agrees with me. And I clicked submit. And then I thought, you know, I really better check the Oxford English Dictionary <laughs> before I say that. And I, I checked it, and indeed, uh, indeed, uh, it does agree with me. So they, they have good taste and, and a sensible uh, lexicographical head, lexicographical Lexigraph, I don't know, head on their shoulders. You have that. You have that really cool condensed Oxford English dictionary, right? That you read with a loop. Yes. Yeah, I do have yeah. one, and it's it's great. The pages are like are like say eighteen by twenty four inches, and uh, or like maybe fourteen by eighteen or something like this. And they microprint nine pages per large uh, per large dictionary page, and so you need a pretty powerful loop to uh, to actually read it. And it's it's the most freaking fun thing in the world because it's like yeah. when you hold that thing like that is a book you know that is a yeah. book that is in your wow. hands wow boys and girls listening at home if you want to know how to become an overthinker that is how to <laughs> become an overthinker well loops are the little handheld magnifying glasses that jewelers use and that people use when they're reading. oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I, i'm referring I, to basically this concept of having this version of the oed oh yeah having you, an oed is, having he's, a complete he's in the loop if you will <laughs> I actually have I have one volume of the OED which Jordan got for me for my birthday when it went down for on sale for like one cent at Borders and it was it's like I think it's like L it's like P I through P L or something. He didn't, uh, uh, like a, he, didn't get you, he didn't get you a whole set for it, even if if they were only a penny. I don't think that they were all available. <laughs> They'd been picked over. Which which yeah. begs the question. No, which raises the question, uh, who would buy one volume of the OED for one cent if the entire set of volumes of the OED are all available, each for one cent? I'm imagining, like, dubbing that conversation over my roommate getting pissed off that, like, someone ate half of a slice of pizza. Like, (laughs) why would somebody eat only half of a slice of pizza? Take out of it and put it back in the box. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. As long as they did it by cutting the pizza with a knife and then picking well, up the, you know, the little triangular tip with their hand. Well, which mm. t- which which got left? The crust end or the tip end? Oh, it's a hypothetical. Uh, yeah. I don't think our dare be so uncourteous, discourteous. We're all refined folks here. Um, despite the fact that I've threatened to steal their mugs, and if they can hear me, they should probably go hide them, which I've done before, and that's a whole other story. All right. Um, hiding them. So mugs. I think we <laughs> and it, it is those hidden mugs that will be sent to you for a donation of fifty dollars yeah, exactly. or more. Uh, all right, so we're through with Robin. Hey, podcast. My name's Robin. My lo- oh, wait. <laughs> location is thirty-seven degrees forty. You know, I should make it clear. He's like, I should make. He's it like clear. the villain in a horror movie. Just keeps coming back. <laughs> Uh, that I am not, that I don't dislike our listeners. <laughs> I love our listeners, and I love it when you, you leave voicemail. I don't know how to express affection other than by, uh, you know, being an asshole, uh, which is why I have so few fulfilling relationships in my life. Oh. It's 37 degrees, 47 minutes, 7.9406. Second north by 122 degrees, 23 minutes, 49.0945 west. Um, it occurs to me in the last couple of weeks I've left you messages that have been kind of snarky, and while this is a safe place for snark, here's a serious thing for overthinking. So uh, we, we skipped a message about how the Skype call quality uh, it, it sucks, and we have had that problem. That we're doing better tonight, huh? Yes. 
It's an East Coast thing, really. Versus yeah, West Coast. It's a East Coast versus West Coast thing. Okay, well, Mark, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still eating? <laughs> it, was cre- it was cottage cheese is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, my sincere apologies, Robin. Back to you. You know what movie deserves better overthinking? What movie, Robin? What? 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 <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Tell us. No, don't keep us in suspense. Hancock. Oh. <laughs> because that movie was far better than it deserves. In fact, probably you could say Will Smith has a tendency to make movies that are far better than they deserve to be. So I think that one deserves a little overthinking. Okay, overthinking Hancock, go. Um, well, first of all, I'd agree with his sentiment that it gets it's, it deserves it has it is better than it deserves to be. Um, I work in the financial industry, and I'll tell you that the actual value of something is never important. What is important is is the change in value and whether it's overvalued or undervalued. So you can have a really really crappy company that is in terrible shape, and its stock is selling for bargain basement prices, and it can be a good buy worth several times more than what you think um, because the price is so low. So in that sense, Hancock deser- is better than it deserves to be because it's bad and because it deserves <laughs> to be much worse. Uh, <laughs> Hancock is um, in the it's in the uh, class of Will Smith movies that I've cited many times of which Hitch is one member, um, and the most flagrant, I think, where the movie um, describes a problem or a moment in human experience or something sincere uh, that develops the character and some challenge that they are facing that says something about humanity and what it all means, and then in the last 45 minutes of the movie recants it systematically and sets everything to the way that you would expect it to be this in Hollywood. This is exactly what I was going to say about Hancock, which is that it's a good movie and a bad movie mixed together. Yeah, I, mean, I like the movie about the drunken superhero. I don't like the movie that has Charlize Theron in it. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't like the movie about, you know, a drunken superhero cleaning up his act and finding love. Yeah, I think, exactly. well, I think we've heard this described in the podcast before as a movie whose second half apologizes for the first half. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Right. And, Definitely. you know, that's a, there, there is, let's say, a long story tradition in uh, English comedy, right, of, of doing this. And, like, the spate of marriages, and I've said this many times before on the podcast, the spate of marriages at the end of Shakespeare play is meant to, like, absolve you uh, of your guilt for having enjoyed the, you know, weird pansexual bestial romp in the woods for the last mm. three hours. You know, and yeah. like, like, you know, order is restored, like Will Smith, you know, and Charlize Theron, I don't know, make super babies or something. Yeah. And I think that the most flagrant in terms of the history of English literature, one of the more flagrant stories that is constantly adulterated with this sort of interpretation has got to be the Faust story, which, of course, we've all heard retold so many times. Um, and Hancock isn't really the Faust story. But it's it's you know it's a similar pattern where you have this you know person who pursues knowledge uh, and, and scientific knowledge and 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 uh, logical knowledge and all these sort of academic knowledges who sells his soul to the devil to learn about the world and to get sort of power and influence and and of course pleasure um, and who at the end has to be damned um, for selling his soul to the devil and you've seen this metaphorically played out literally played out so many times and so many times he gets off at the end like he just gets they figure out a way. 
to let him off with, with a warning, or they figure out a way to redeem him. Like, I would say that, that Faust Part 2 by Goethe is probably, like, a totally and completely effed up, bizarre, and crazy town apology for, for what happens in Faust Part 1, although it's much, you know, it's very... Too Faust, fun. too furious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking, what's a good example of, like, a contemporary Faust tale where, like, the hero is damned for his pursuit of knowledge, um, but finds an easy out at the end of the story for no reason. Crank oh, to high voltage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's similar. Crank, crank is similar uh, in that, like, you know, the guy is in pursuit of this thing and, and he sort of makes his bed and he's expected to lie in it and he chooses not to and at the end he's forgiven. Um, crank 1, of course, is not like that, but Crank 2 makes it like that by revision and retcon. Um, Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think about, like, I don't know, movies where somebody gives his body over to technology and you think he's not going to be human again, and he is. Um, gosh, can anybody think of anything off the top of their head that fits this description? Because I'm not just making this up. Dead or alive, you're um, coming with me. No, RoboCop? Well, no, he doesn't give his body yeah, over. Yeah, I was thinking of RoboCop a his, little bit. His body is taken by technology because it's the only way he can continue to have a body, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's killed at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean... You're thinking that Robo because well, Robocop gets his gets his memories back and becomes who he is again. Um Oh, is it um the Sam Worthington character from Terminator Salvation, perhaps? Oh, or am, yeah, or am I, I not fully I'm not maybe I'm not fully understanding this concept here. Okay, um let me think if I oh, can that, come up with something that's what? I said uh that's not a, a terrible example because didn't he volunteer for Skynet and then he uh you know he's redeemed at the end by what he does? By you know, yeah, that's know. totally true. Yeah, he he totally like he totally backs out of it and like doesn't have to pay the piper for what happens. Um, definitely, I'm sure I'll think of something else as we're going on, and I'll like blurt it out in the middle of the podcast so that I interrupt everybody. Which is I like to. I'll probably try to interrupt Mark because I enjoy interrupting Mark the most out of interrupting everybody because he's he always gets geared up and serious. But, but you know what? But though you, you always you you do let me finish though. You know. No 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was another Kanye reference right there. In terms of letting, <laughs> I thought, I thought we you, put that to bed. But I don't know. What else you, I'm gonna let you finish. But I think that girl who has no lines on Glee is one of the best token Asians of all time. <laughs> well, Hancock. Is uh, awesome. uh, oh man! Gosh, but don't get me you started on that. <laughs> Let's not go down. Oh man! But yeah, one of the other things about Hancock is that it's a very heavy-handed, like sort of post-Bush era. Or like late Bush era movie because it's about a fatigued and um, sullied and immoral uh, superpower, America, you know, represented by America with the name Hancock released on the 4th of July, who realizes his commitment to his people and that he's an immigrant and like that uh, he needs to sort of clean up and, and take responsibility for himself um, and realize that he needs to stop the effing around that he's doing with the rest of the world for his own pleasure. And in that sense, it's, it's Hancock is a political allegory, a pretty obvious political allegory for like, you know, America at the end of Bush and the hopes that would become realized in the other, um, you know, smiling black Superman who became our president. Uh, it was really, you know, he's sort of like Will Smith, but, um, you know, he doesn't get jiggy with it nearly as much. And he tends to get diplomatic with it a little bit more. Frequently. And his parents, uh, did understand. 
Yeah, it's true. That's true. His parents understood well enough that he managed to go to all sorts of fancy places. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there, you see a lot of that. You see a lot of like sort of um, anticipating Obama and and like creating the story of what people wanted Obama to be before Obama came around. And of course, there's the argument of well, how much of this is actually what has happened? How much of this sort of thing is impossible to determine the truth or veracity of reality of it because it's all about context and interpretation? Um, and how much of it is just fiction? Um, like how much of what has happened in the last two years um, is in truth the repudiation of the previous eight years that um, even you know the most um, strident supporters of America's foreign military influence had kind of been calling for at that point. Um, I think uh, Hancock, if it were a better movie, would have caught its historical moments and meant something, much like I say Ang Lee's Hulk does by seizing its historical moment at the sort of early implication of what this this new reality, this new brave new world that we're in, is going to mean. Um, but I don't I don't think Hancock grabs this moment because it apologizes for itself and it comes up with this whole crazy story about the stupid gods and all that nonsense. Um, you don't need to do that, you know. Just keep it simple. It's a, it's an interesting enough concept that you can just run with the concept, make the movie, have the guy go through some real moments have the big couple twists and turns but you don't go all freaking clash of the titans don't insult our intelligence yeah that's just Especially crazy writing exactly well, I mean, <laughs> so i don't know i mean that was my interpretation of hancock when i saw the trailer right it was like oh it's a metaphor about america the end of the you know the end of the the aughts um and seeing the movie didn't um change that opinion it just sort of like made me less enthusiastic. Yeah, about except it. except right. It changed it from oh hey, that's a movie about America at the end of the aughts to oh hey, that's a yeah. Movie what about the f is up with that? Hey, who who played the, the <laughs> who played the guy who was married to Charlize Theron? Jason Bateman. Was it? Yeah, it was Jason Bateman. That's right. That's right. That's he he was underutilized. Yeah, he's been. He had some fun. He's a PR guy in that movie. Yeah, he's a he's, he's a PR guy, guy in a State of Play. Actually, oh, really? a really funny PR guy, a really flamboyantly gay PR guy. Um, uh, it was a really fun comic relief character. That guy's a good actor. I know because he was on Inside the Actors Studio. <laughs> yeah, an enough. episode. They're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Though, I mean, he was genius on Arrested Development. Well, let's go through the Will Smith movies for a second and really – let's really flesh out this. And as soon as you want to stop overthinking this, this particular question, we're welcome to. No, but the, the Will Smith movies and the, the sort of like portrayal of America in the world or something like that, all of the Will Smith uh, 4th of July films. Well, that's a, true. He's a of them, right? Yeah, that's or right. Or where were you going to go? Which way were you oh, going to go? Sorry. Say, let's go through Will Smith's movies and say whether they're better than they deserve to be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like for example his 20 his upcoming 2010 remake of old boy which is happening um or his uh, is, or what he's doing with his son in uh uh the karate kid yeah well let's go let's go back let's say seven pounds we'll skip because it's crap um hancock we just talked about hancock uh, unless two, you want to talk 2012 about oh christ okay i am legend mark you just talked about this is i am legend better or worse than it deserves to be um, I, mean, I think it all really depends on if you if you loved or hated the ending. Um, in 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 my case, I guess you know my with my shallow movie taste, I I enjoyed it so better than it deserved. You know, what? I'm going to do this the way that I wish that we did our Oscar podcast. I'm going to read the name of a Will Smith movie, and I want you all like um, Price is Right style to go like better, worse, or the same. And this is the movie is better, the worse, or the same as what it is supposed to be. Or right, does that make sense? Sure. That, Okay, so Pursuit of Happiness, better or worse or the same? 
M- uh, Matt. Uh, didn't see it. <laughs> Ryan. Better. Mark. Uh, better, definitely. Uh, okay, okay. We're not going to do Hitch. Shark Tale. <laughs> Matt. Uh, I bid one dollar. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Worse. And I'm, just, I'm just arbitrarily yelling things out, by the way. <laughs> That's how you play prices right. What the hell is Shark Tale? All right, iRobot. <laughs> iRobot, Matt. Worse. And Mark. Didn't see it, but probably worse. And Ryan. Same. Uh, okay, I thought it was better. I bid $1. And, uh, Bad Boys 2. Uh, I thought that was better than it deserved to be. <laughs> I thought the invasion. Oh, I thought you were taking over the hosting duties of uh, the little game here. Okay, I thought I thought uh, the invasion of Cuba was uh, was really well that executed. Was <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, the, the, the invasion of Cuba was better than it deserved to be. <laughs> <laughs> but I all right. How about the, uh, Legend? Let's jump all the way down to Legend of Bagger Vance. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. What about Ali? Ali, I actually saw Ali. That. Oh, you was, saw it? Yeah. What do and you mean? I, would say, oh, he's your... I would say same. Yeah. Not 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 a lot of expectations going into it and it kind of was like eh. I feel like I got I, I feel like I got what I was promised out of Ali. 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 I mean I'm I'm a big fan of When We Were Kings, the documentary of the Foreman Ali fight. The thriller was it the Rumble in the Jungle? Um I'm a big fan of that documentary, and I felt no need to see Ali after seeing that documentary. I felt like it captured everything that I ever wanted to watch um, about Muhammad Ali. So I, I, if we ever do an article on you know most unnecessary biopic of all time, like Ali is going to be my number one pick. Because I feel like there's so much good footage of Muhammad Ali and so much good documentary work already done on Muhammad Ali that there's no need to make fake Muhammad Ali with a rapper. Um, however, however family-friendly that rapper might be. <laughs> so... Uh, what, what do you think, Ryan? Men in Black: The Ride. Uh, Men, in Black, <laughs> Men in Black: Alien Attack. Men in Black: Alien Attack. It rhymes, which is good. That's always uh, positive. You know, like after you know, for me, my like like Will Smith's career for me ends at like in, the, in like 1997. It's like now, like Independence Day after Independence Day and Men in Black. I just tuned out. Um, I just I ended on a high note. Yeah, gosh, I wonder what happened after Men in Black that led you to no longer want to watch Will Smith movies. I bet it wasn't Enemy of the State. I suspect it was Wild Wild no, Actually, I think Wild it was the music West. video for Wild Wild West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. That's like the Old Testament and the New Testament division. It's like it, <laughs> everybody really has consensus on the old Will Smith movies. But everything after Wild Wild West, there's a lot of argument over which oh, ones are good you know, and which ones are bad. I didn't realize. I, I, I take it we're all looking at Will Smith's IMDb page now. I didn't realize how yeah. early back. Bad Boys was. He was still doing Fresh, Fresh Prince when he got cast in Bad Boys. Mm, yeah, Bad Boys was a long time ago, yeah. and it wasn't nearly as big of a deal as Bad Boys Two was. It was a long right. Time. I mean, Independence Day was kind of his breakout movie star role. Am, am I right, or yeah. or was it really Men in Black? I mean, well, um, no, no, no. well six, it was six, indepe- it was Independence Day. I mean, that. I movie... mean, Six Degrees of Separation. He was not. Was he nominated for an Oscar? Right or or. Um, uh, was he or no? He got a lot of critical acclaim. I thought he got a lot of critical acclaim. Is, so yeah, I took him seriously as an actor, but not so much as still as a movie star. Yeah, as a movie star. Uh, this, know, was, this thing was like, hey, this this uh, Fresh Prince kid actually can act, right? Yeah, he wasn't nominated for an Oscar for that, but yeah, no, it was definitely like, oh, it's the real deal, um, you know. So yeah, uh, Will Smith, man. 
He doesn't have to custom sell records, but I do. What? (laughs) Let's let's move on. All right. Uh, Thank you, Robin, for all of your voicemails. Uh, Keep them coming. 20 Eat Log 01. Moving along. Hey, this is Lawrence from New York. I want to know over... Lat Long. ICBM. ICBM address. I'm tempted not to uh, play your voicemail, but no, I will. Overthinking it podcast thought about the whole glitter vampire trend with Twilight and, well, that and True Blood and the whole rash of everything becoming involving with vampires all of a sudden. Now, I thought it was just going to be about the Underworld movies for a little while, and then it just sort of exploded into this hot topic bang fest. All right. Bye. Now, when you say hot topic fang fest, are you referring to the retail store, the, the clothing store, or are you referring <laughs> to something else, to uh, a topic that is, that is hot? Uh, you know, I, I think it's I, the dog well-executing the unity. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, well, thank you, William Emson. <laughs> Zing. So, uh, <laughs> so, little little new criticism, little uh, you know, post World War One literary criticism joke for you. Uh, I refer you to our to our um, uh, old um, episode. I'm looking to see the. I'm stalling to see the um, the number. The title is "Sexy, Sexy Chastity." And it, uh, it's when we, I think, talked about, it's when we talked about Twilight. Uh, I'll say this, like, a couple things. You know, vampires traditionally have, re- uh, have represented the New World's fear of a kind of decrepit but extremely alluring Old World European aristocracy. And, uh, and that, in a sense, is what the... Um, what the vampires in both the vampire diaries and in uh, both the vampire diaries and in Twilight do right, like the um, vampires in Twilight are connected most notably with Italy and with like you know the Italian Renaissance and you know great things like this. That's where like the vampire home base is. The vampires in the vampire diaries are connected with the old South and sort of the Southern Gothic and the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War era. True Blood is a different thing. In True Blood, they're they're gays, right? At least they start out as gays. True Blood is doing a lot of things. That that show's firing on a lot of cylinders. And even though it's extremely trashy and its trashiness is what makes it fun, there's a lot going on in uh, True Blood. The vampires are gays. They are... Um, uh, it's about consumerism as well, and, you know, kind of several... Uh, kind of decadence, kind of a, a sort of decadent period in imperial america uh at the end of the aughts mm. yeah so uh you know i don't know sorry i didn't mean to get all droning droning on about it anyone else have anything to say so well why now then why you know why well, why are all these things sort of converging to be a uh you know a massive cultural phenomenon right now i mean well let me let me let me tell you why because uh, the interview with the vampire came out in 1994. Buffy the Vampire Slayer ran from 1997 to 2003. Angel ran from 1999 to 2004. The Blade movies were made up through 2004. The reason why it's new is that it's not new. Vampires mm. have been like a hip and trendy part of pop culture pretty consistently 
pretty much since Anne Rice, I would say, and maybe even before. And I might have only hmm. been saying Anne Rice because that's the earliest that I can remember. Um, I mean, I've, I've said before that one of my big, for me, the, the, uh, one of the big sort of um, proliferators of vampire culture through the adolescent zeitgeist in America was the White Wolf role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade, which was a big player in the establishment of kind of... Um, early vampire-oriented fictionalization of goth culture. I will say that much. Not the establishment of the aesthetic. Sort of the early new wave, like, black fishnet aesthetic is the antecedent to a lot of the sparkly vampire aesthetic. It's it's a similar look. It really comes down to the clothes. Like, what do those clothes mean at any given time? Because the clothes have stayed constant since, like, the the 70s and 80s. Um, You know, you've had, like, this sort of dark, glittery look that's been part of adolescent rebellion. Speaking of Um, hot topic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think that what you get is that when you start having people as a leisure activity pretending to be vampires and dressing like this, and it's sort of, it's, you see a little bit of a shift where people stop seeing this fashion statement as a sort of personal existential expression or like more of a issuance of taste in music or, or, or aesthetic rebellion. And it gets, it gets a narrative, like it gets a narrative that latches onto it with its fangs and starts holding on. And it starts becoming associated with, with vampires and with witchcraft and with, um, you know, kind of classic Gothic horror reimagined for a glittery alternative rock age. Right. Well, the, uh, the South park about, there's a South park about vampires that is, is exactly about this, right? So there's the, yeah. the goth kids in South South Park, um, and they are just outraged at the emergence of uh, a clique of vampire kids, which is like preppy straight A students who start dressing like vampires. Um, yeah. And in the end, they they destroy where the the vampires come from, which is hot topic, and they burn down the hot topic. Um, <laughs> and so don't it's pretty much exactly that. what you just described. What I said? Don't suggest anything to our readers. We're not responsible <laughs> yeah, right. to burn down a hot topic. Burn down the hot topic. Wow. We're not responsible. Okay, so I, uh, I just Googled sexy, sexy chastity to find the episode, and I did. But, Safe search on or off. Uh, off. And I, I got to say, I really, really don't recommend you do it. And not, not even in the, like, the kind of way we say on the internet where it's like... Uh, no, like, I mean, oh, it, don't go to Lemon yeah, don't, you know, <laughs> hey, don't go to Lemon Park. No, I mean, like, there are things that you cannot unsee, and I've seen several. <laughs> so, wow, that's crazy. Well, you know what? I think what Twilight manages to do is it is it it's sort of it's sort of the um, Ignatius Loyolification of of vampires, right? Where like they they decide like in preview with the vampire they sort of do this, but they come up a little bit short because they still keep it pretty scary and they kill Kirsten Dunst and all that stuff. But like they finally decided that the way that the, the way they're going to throw their weight behind all this is they're going to be sexy to women and they're going to count on women be mindlessly following whatever they find sexy to like inform the rest of the culture, which is how the Jesuits were founded, right? Like pick the, the attractive priests um, and make them attractive to the women, and then the women will bring the men, um, and and people will do anything. They'll change their opinion of the occult, they'll change their religion, they'll vote for the right person, whatever, depending upon how sexy they find them. Um, and so, although. I I guess it's hard to be sexier than Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the same movie in 1994, but we say this with cognitive dissonance. And um, at one point, I'm sure in the future, we'll all look back at some you know huge megastar who was once a minor star and be like, oh, did anyone ever believe that that person wasn't the hottest person ever? So I don't know. 
Well, that's um, um, like, look, that's that was a pretty gay movie, right? Like uh, Neil Jordan's film of Interview with the Vampire. With oh yeah, well I mean yeah, and Brad and the, Pitt and yeah, the, the source material is pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's it's all it's all you know it's all sex fantasy. Like it's all like it's like romance stuff for 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 girls, and they make it also for guys by having there be a fair amount of savage violence and like um and, and like they keep the horror elements at least a little bit more intact than it is in something like you know Angel. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> don't Brian go there. Just, don't and go. Ryan just chatted on our back channel. He's like. Exploring the sexy, sexy chest links. I don't understand which one's so awful. <laughs> I mean, the top hit is our podcast. Um, oh, and after that is uh, photos of some chastity belts. Uh, the, is that the? Oh, I see. Oh no! Don't send that link around. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, I but Ryan see. Asked. Ryan asked. I, uh, I, I, I tell you, I object to this on several levels. But the first one is that writing the word extreme with a lower case e and an uppercase x is not something to be admired or done again. Like that is not acceptable. <laughs> I forget how I, I, I've seen things like this before. At one point, um, I actually saved a, a a thumbnail of an image not unlike those images um, <laughs> as the as Lasco cave painting, because um, from the thumbnail it looks kind of like that. And then everyone on this who on this public uh, computer would have clicked on this to say, "Oh yeah, I want to see the Lasco <laughs> cave painting." It's <laughs> all so, so one of these situations. So unfeasible. Um, yeah, so the thing that we should we're talking about, by the way, are male chastity devices, which we do not recommend. You yeah, no, 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 don't let. Yeah, let's stop now because it's. Uh... There's nothing wrong with chastity, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to stigmatize that. We don't want to say that we're an anti-chastity that podcast. That is a straw man. That is a straw man, and you know it. <laughs> We do get we do get criticized for our for our strong anti chastity stance, <laughs> or maybe it's just Ryan and I who get uh, who get stig- stigmatized by that. Uh, more about vampires and less about male chastity devices. I'll say another advance is that there have been remarkable advances in glitter technology in the past ten years. <laughs> is that like uh, is glitter vampire? Is kind of whole, not- like. Have you guys seen Velvet Goldmine? No, I have not. No. Is that just okay. another like combination of an adjective and a noun, or is that? <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a uh, Todd Haynes movie about disco, kind of. Oh, about David okay. Bowie and anyway, never mind. Well, I mean, isn't isn't though? Isn't that similar though? Isn't the sort of popular backlash against glitter vampires, or as as Urban Dictionary calls them, glampires, which I think is a great term. Um, isn't that similar to the same sentiment that was the the let's kill disco we hate disco movements of the late 70s and early 80s like like it's too glittery it's emasculine it isn't the way that we like our music to be played like it breaks the rules um and of course like it's very popular for popular consumption but people like sort of ritualistically broke this the lps and and there is you know uh this Detroit Rock City, all that stuff. I mean, isn't isn't the glampire controversy, the glampire backlash, or as I like to call it, the glam backlash, um, to make one giant, uh, horribly, like almost borderline cancerous portmanteau out of the whole thing? Um, is that not similar to, or perhaps even an echo of the anti-disco backlash? As we as we find these advanced technologies that allow us new materials to wear, new ways of doing makeup, uh, advanced 
advances in technology that let us do different kinds of aesthetic things that upset people who are who are conservative about their aesthetics that want vampires to have widow's peaks and capes of velvet with silk lining um who want vampires who speak in transylvanian accents and or want all their music to be played by actual instruments or is there not a similarity there and I ask it in that way so as to be a rhetorical question, so you don't have the opportunity to really disagree with me. But you do. So I free you from it. So go for it. All right. Moving right <laughs> along to our next uh... – <laughs> Did I just make no sense? I thought that was insightful. I thought that was no, very No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm totally – It was so insightful. We have no retort. I mean <laughs> – Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, my, my, only, my, only, <laughs> uh, uh, my only retort as Transylvanian vampire is – I am jealous that I'm not as sexy as Robert Pattinson. Ah, 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 ah. You know, I hear he's actually not that sexy in real life. <gasps> no, Whoa. Well, we, we just lost the quadrant, guys. We just lost the quadrant of our podcast right there. <laughs> I, I heard that he's actually in real life. He has hygiene problems and it kind of smells bad. Yeah, that was on Perez Hilton. Yeah, like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. Dude smells bad. Dude doesn't see the need to bathe. I- I actually don't remember exactly who it was, but I think I have a friend who has a friend who he, she, he hit on her at some point before he was famous, and she wasn't interested because he was too grody. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh, my God, that's awful. How could you ever turn down? But um, I don't know. I mean, I think, it's, I think that we forget how important the smell is. And I remember that movies, unless they are the movies that we talked about last week when I wasn't here, are two-dimensional projections of three-dimensional objects and are not going to give you accurate portrayals of who is attractive and who is not. Right. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. and they also they uh, they fix skin in post. Actually, believe it or not, this is why we need smell o vision, guys. No, we, we <laughs> really on a gold mine. Smell o vision. It just like imagine it malfunctioning. <laughs> that just that is just unpleasant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so just put your uh, TV in your <laughs> last last one, and we'll get to it kind of quickly because we're over an hour here, uh, gentlemen, and sometimes lady. I'd say, ladies. This is an email, right? Yeah. Or is this a... Uh, that I will read to you. I want to thank you for not only a fantastic podcast, no, 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 thank you, that has brought me hours of entertainment. Oh, you're welcome. But for introducing me to The Wire, I'm, I'm interjecting here. I just finished the final episode. Was that clear? And the show is amazing. I, I know it is. Good point. <laughs> After your episode where you bleeped out the name of a character who died, I figured... I, I, quiet, Ryan. I figured I would have to watch it and was not disappointed. And yes, you're... See, episode- look, that was, it was a good thing that I spoiled the wire. Uh, <laughs> an episode less than two, two months ago. That's uh, straw man. He no. watched all five seasons. <laughs> okay, guys. I, I guess if you don't want to read the listeners, no, emails, no, no, keep reading. Keep reading. Oh, oh, wait, only Matt's allowed to interject. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll good. I guess that's good. fine, guys. I, I guess no, we'll we be don't good. have Please to read. Please, we love we, the listeners. I guess we don't have to read the. If that's okay with you, I love the listeners. I just hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, so okay, so uh, uh, Bob watched the Bob from. Uh, oh, he gives two sets of addresses: uh, thirty-two degrees, forty-four minutes north, one hundred seventeen degrees, uh, ten minutes west. That is his current ICBM address. Uh, so uh, he watched the wire after getting hearing our recommendation. You know who should do that, Belinky. Mm. So this brings up my question. Oh, Bob, I like you. You didn't say this begs a question. This brings up my question. Can you consider a show one of the greatest of all time without seeing the whole series? I noticed that the IMDb trivia on The Wire 
uh, that it was ranked number eight on Empire's Top 50 TV shows all the time. Empire, I'm not familiar with this list, but okay. Also on that list was Lost, uh, which was solidly bad this season. Last season, says Bob. And Heroes, which since the list came out has gotten bad. Uh, until when did the list come out? Ago. Like after the fourth episode? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry? Sorry? I said, when did the list come out? After the fourth episode? Yeah. Or? <laughs> no, the first season. People like the first season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, save the cheerleader. Save the world. Uh, okay. So until an hour and a half ago, I would have said that the best uh, TV show ever was The Shield, simply because I hadn't finished The Wire. I like Bob more and more. I guess I was afraid that the entire wiretap was orchestrated by a monkey looking into a snow globe. Am I being too Spoilers! St. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, though I, I think comparing the, uh, you know, cognitively disabled with monkeys is, is slightly offensive, but never mind. Uh, am I being too critical? The Simpsons is number one on this list, and I don't uh, think anything it does, uh, no matter how bad this season can be, will take it off the list. Or does The Simpsons have a pass because it's not ec- episodic and not a drama? Oh, no, it is episodic, Bob. It's not serialized. But it's not serialized. It's not one. You know, if you want to learn the distinction between those two things, I recommend that you listen to to uh, the These Effing Teenagers podcast, where that's, in fact, all that that podcast is about. And, you know, by the end of at least one episode, you will know the difference, <laughs> difference between uh, episodic and serialized uh, narratives. Yeah, I mean, The Simpsons, I think, has a past because the first five years were so brilliant. But, um, okay, so do you have to see a whole TV series in order to... Uh, in order to pass judgment, in order to have a um, uh, have an opinion on it, it's not uh, just having seen the whole thing, but it's also has the entire thing trans you know, trans transpassed, passed pass through. And oh yeah, it's is thing. it not? Yeah, right? right. Do we have to wait until the end of a series to judge to judge its its ultimate quality? Well, I mean, look, I have a dog in this race, which is the West Wing, uh, because I love that show, seasons one through four, and when Aaron Sorkin stopped writing it, I think it, it took a big nosedive. Um, got a little better around seven. But, uh, you know, of course, I didn't stop watching it, because all I do is watch television. I'm so lonely. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do you have to see the whole thing? Uh, yes or no? Price is Right style. Fenzel. No, and I'll give you two examples. 60 Minutes and MASH. Because <laughs> right. I'm not going to watch either of the whole things of either of those shows. Yeah. Unless somebody tells me to. But no, no, no. Um, I would say that the more serialized the show is, the more important it is for you to watch the whole thing. And it's certainly important to, if if there are whole years of it, which are totally different from the rest of it, you need to take them into the calculus. But I think that if you have a sense for the overall shape of the show, you've seen a sort of representative sample, you're familiar with its aesthetic values, you can make a judgment without seeing the whole thing, because I like a lot of them, that's just a futile enterprise. So, fair point, uh, Mark. Um, I'm not quite sure the best way to answer this, other than to just point to Family Guy as something where, if you look at it as the whole, it is clearly not you know um, would be considered as part of the pantheon of greatest TV shows of all time. But if you'd stopped at it, you know, this is a little bit of an exception case. If you'd stopped at that for the first three seasons when it was originally canceled, then I would have counted it as such. But the rest, the resulting product afterwards, is really kind of canceled out the rest of that 
Don't get me started on another Family Guy rant here, especially with that stupid Windows Seven crap. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about that oh, tonight? My Sorry, God. we're not going to get to it because no, we, no, I got uh, time for that. That's, yeah, that's for well, another better. Time. Our, our listeners are are more important than us. I mean, I'll say I'll I'll say one other quick thing about it, which is that um, that there is a challenge to running a TV show that passes through certain parts of its lifespan, and there is a, definitely a challenge that can be overcome or or fall. Or you can fall to it evolving a tv show to run through multiple seasons and tv shows that are able to stay consistent or and or reinvent themselves and or overcome those challenges in some way deserve a praise that a tv show that has a really short run or that you've only seen one or two seasons of or that isn't done yet is not going to be able to match so for example you cannot praise lost in the same way you can praise say star trek the next generation because as the run goes on it finds ways of subtly reinventing itself while staying consistent in a way that's really remarkable right but like lost hasn't had that yeah yeah yeah. especially after kind of losing its way in season two there yeah 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 i mean which one lost you mean no next generation yeah with like all the wesley crusher and the and the other other stuff all that how many seasons did next generation run seven i mean we're on what we're on we just finished season five of lost i mean i feel like with lost i think it's gonna go to seven too isn't it is there's no they're capping it at six. So oh, this, this is going to be the, the sixth and last. Yeah. Got it. This is the last one coming. Yeah. But, and I think that regardless of, I actually think that, um, you know, uh, in disagreement with the, uh, the, 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 the sort of commenter with the, the, the caller the, the, or the listener who wrote in, um, that actually, no matter, regardless of how lost ends, I, I feel like that doesn't, I mean, this, the last season would have to be really, really, really bad for it to be like, to, to kind of budget on my all time list. So the kind of more good seasons, right? I guess if you look at it in a kind of Bayesian perspective, like, you know where you have priors that are updated with new information. Um, my pri- you know, when a season has run, the longer a season has run at a certain quality, the more the new uh, inf- uh, the new information has to kind of deviate strongly from that to really move it substantially. So you know, it's it's I think it's uh, risky to like sort of add something to a best ever list uh, after one season. You know, I'm not I'm not going to come out and say that Glee is is the best show ever um, because. Um, you know, we, we, I don't have quite enough in, uh, information to go on, but if Dawson's they maintain Creek this, is the best show ever, right? But if if, <laughs> if, if you get about four uh, seasons of Glee and, and it maintains this quality, I think that, or either maintains this quality, or you know, like Pete said, reinvents itself, then I feel I would feel comfortable making that assessment, even if it is going to have another four down the road. Um, and so, I think it, it depends on how long the show has been running uh, at that time. Fair enough. By the by, by the way, Empire Online. Um, I'm looking at the countdown, which is pretty hilarious. Um, the Shield is number 22, beating out ER by a couple of spots. Beating out the Shield at number 21, Angel, <laughs> which is apparently very much loved <laughs> by Empire Online for reasons that kind of confound me. I mean, it's okay, but it's not better than like I don't know, like Faulty Towers. Oh, which is this outranked. is one of these. Oh, Jesus! This is one of these stupid. Uh, you know, ad revenue driven things, except I don't see any ads. So there's an ad at the bottom of the page um, where they make you click 50 times to get all 50 shows instead of presenting them as a list. I'm thinking of going through and getting rid of all of the pagination in our post just because I don't want to be cheap like that. Though our posts run to like three to 5,000 words sometimes, and sometimes you just have to break that up. 
No, no, no. I mean, I don't know. I talked about this on that comment thread. Yeah, I, think oh, oh, I, had, I, I meant to say something about, about that, Pete, which is well, never open the door to people seeing into your process because the meta conversation will inevitably overtake the conversation. Mm. You know what I mean? I guess. And then suddenly the whole comment thread becomes about whether we should have multi-page posts on overthinking, overthinking it. No one wants to talk about the wild things anymore. I mean, I I felt like the wild things conversation was not so vivid and urgent that it was dominating the uh, the comment thread to the extent that I couldn't talk about something else. But the wild things, uh, I'm, like, I'm like sad. We should have we should have the wild things conversation. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've 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 talked out the time on on this on this episode. But uh, I just saw wild things, and Pete, I'm going to be excited to, yeah. to sort of dialogue with you on this, whether on uh, on the website or on this podcast. I don't understand why everybody's so uh, geared up about that old Dennis Richards movie from a few years ago. Dude, two chicks... Two chicks make out in like in the in like a pool or shower. I, I guess, but you see Kevin's bacon. Kevin's bacon is in the movie. Be still. <laughs> you didn't think that I was going to be able to come up with a whole bunch of specific plot elements from Wild Things or whatever, did you? Wild, Look, yeah. Dev Campbell at one point was the it girl. All right, <laughs> and, and that was Denise Richards when she was still hot. Mm. Uh, all right. Let's leave it there. If you uh, want to talk to us at all, you have anything to say about uh, supporting the troops in Iraq, about scary movies, your ICBM address, about proving or proving your knowledge, uh, about pulling punches in fast stories, about the further meaning of vampires, because we've already uh, done one podcast on it, and uh, about how much TV you need to see before you know whether it's good, you know what to do. Leave a comment on the show notes. uh, Use the contact form on the site. Or email podcast at overthinkingit.com or call 20EATLOG01. We'll get to your voicemails and emails uh, on the next listener feedback show, which will be in about a month. And I promise I won't ask you for money uh, until that time. But thanks in the meantime for all the donations that you make at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably... Ryan, that sound quality, we really have to do something. I know, we really got to work on that. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's clear, it's clear. Your sincerity is, uh, if I had smell vision I could smell your sincerity from here. Yeah, no, that's just the uh, uh, empty cup of cottage cheese that I had before the show. Uh, was it good? Do you have anything in it? Uh, yeah, cucumber and dill. I'm serious. <laughs>